Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Outcasts with me, invasive cane toad Tim Downey, and lovable koala David Perry. This is the podcast where we plunge beneath the outlander waves and bring back a pearl. And all today's outcast is one of the finest bivalves in these waters. Not only an actress, but also a podcaster and writer with her brilliant new show, She's a Wreck, which you all must listen to immediately, of course. She's been in the show since 2017, playing Masali Fraser. Yeah. She is, of course, the ever-brilliant Lauren Lyle. Lauren, welcome to our Windy Shores. Hello, thank you so much. Um, Tim, you got the name wrong again. Marsley, not Marsali. It's Marsali. I just want... It's okay, we're going to keep... We have to to let everyone know how difficult it is because this has been an ongoing, tumultuous thing for me in this show. It's the hardest thing I have to deal with is the name wrong. But do you know what it is, actually? I'll let you off because... In the audiobooks, which I'm sure you've listened to all of, Tim, I'm sure. Extensively. Yeah. Extensively. <laughs> the, um, the, the person that speaks in them has always said Marsali. That's how it's pronounced in the audiobooks. Mm. However, when I first joined the show, before we'd shot anything or done anything, uh, our dialect coach, I had to have a session with the dialect coach. And um, I was quite confused because I'm very Scottish. So I thought, what possibly could there be to teach? Um, and it was mainly a lot to do with getting rid of the Glaswegian accent and also letting me know that the way Diana wanted my name to be pronounced was Marsley like Parsley, because we all pronounce Parsley like Parsley. But the, and the irony is that the, the one thing I hate most in the world is Parsley. So ah. it's, it's, it's good for the breath, but very little else, I find. Yes, it's a good, yes, it actually cleanses the breath so if you eat i would actually say parsley yes um, i would which, say parsley there you go which annoys annoys my wife no end um so actually your name to me would actually be musley <laughs> i quite like that endearing musley. i think so it's got a sweetness to a lightness yeah, to it a lightness i think so which i i am very involved with <laughs> that's right, that's right. well hey here we are here we are well laura thank you so much for joining us uh we are as is traditional uh, on this show, we are going to read a scene. And today's scene is from episode 502, scene 13. Uh, and can you give us a little bit of uh, a little bit of an introduction to the scene? Yes. So this scene is okay, this scene is the moment in um episode two of season five where uh, Claire realizes that she needs so right before this, she realizes that she really needs some help in the surgery and can't do it alone. And she needs a she needs a wingman. She needs her Robin to her Batman, and um, is scouring the ridge for who might be right. And has noticed that Marsley 
is very good with things like butchering and really good at knowing the anatomy of an animal and how to do that sort of thing correctly, not squeamish and um, has sort of, I guess, the balls and the ability to learn within the form of medical apprentice. Um, and I'm sure Brianna was a thought there to be one, but Brianna's quite squeamish and thinks, and so there's sort of the idea that she's not quite the right fit. So right before this, it's been, um, there's been a funeral with a, with a six foot deep box um, and Claire whisks Marsley away to um, ask her to become a medical apprentice through the form of showing her the autopsy actually of the person that we've just supposedly buried. Uh, to Marsley's surprise. Good. We are now ready for the scene. I yes. Feel. Now, who who's going to be playing what? Let's have a little look and see who's who's who. So it's uh, it's it's Claire and Marsley. I've been told I do quite an exquisite Claire. Um, Beautiful. Behind the, behind the trailers, um, we've done that before. Me and John Bell and Caitlin Orion like to like to do a, a sort of reading sometimes of sides that we're not in, Ooh. and um, quite regularly. I'm a clear that just says a lot of, oh, Jamie, just a lot of that. Um, So as that's a taster for you, I think. Who's going to be Marsley, though? I I think it has to be. Who's going for the accent? Jesus. Tim, Tim, uh, I'm throwing this one to you. You're my Sally. Sorry, I'm just being, I I just wanted to say it in a way that you don't understand me. (laughs) Go on, then. You see where I gave that? I gave that a pause just in case David was going to go, oh, okay, I'll do it. Because his Scottish, I don't know if you're aware, is sublime. Can you do a bit, um, David? I don't think I've ever heard it. You, David, please. It's a treat for the ears. Please. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that, what, that was isn't that, absolutely isn't that wonderful? Gosh. That was how we, that's how you say I love you in, in Scottish, I'm pretty sure. It is. Uh, it's very Jamie, actually. That was a real moment into him. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. That's all you are getting, because I'm going to be reading the big print, and I'm going to kick this off, Tim. You are going to be Marsley. Yes. Okay. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to hear Lauren Lyle's Claire, and I'm very excited about this. So it's scene 13, episode 502. <laughs> In- Can I just caveat this as well Please. with um, this is not the this is not what ended up in the episode. So there are moments here that I would have done. So no one's allowed to judge. In fact, you know what? Actually, it's going to be amazing. Don't even worry about it. Forget it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just let it roll. Let it roll. Okay. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm ready. Right. Interior, mm-hmm. big house, Claire's surgery day. Sorry. Can I just stop again? Yeah. Why does no one change it? Why is it called the big house? Like what? Right. Is that just what we? Is that why was that not thought through further? Just a big house, so let's call it the big house. Yeah, but maybe it's the same. You know, like I don't know what it's like in Australia, but it's certainly this in the UK. When you come into a room, you put the big lights on. So true. That's not just a northern thing. The what? No, no, no. You come into a room, and yeah. you know, like like that. Yeah. You go. I'll, just, I'll put the big light on. So true, Tim. So right. true. You know. So yeah. maybe it's just, it's it's a similar. It's a similar thing. But where's the small house? Yeah. In order for it to be the big house, yeah. you need a smaller house in order to get where scale. Is, where is the small one? That's season four. That was small house season four. Uh... Season six, we're going to get the mansion. Uh, you know, Jamie's been uh, very hard at work. He's always putting on extensions. I think he's working on an extension now. Okay. Little granny flat out the back. Um, and uh, by season seven, he'll have a palace. Oh, right, it's good. To get, it's good to get insight from such big characters to know where we're going with it. It's really helpful. Thanks. We'll try to help you. 
fingers on the pulse. Yeah. Things on the pulse line. Sorry, so we should get back to it, shouldn't we? Let's leap straight back in. But I think these things are important just to, just for placement. It's also, I think for fans that have been watching the show and reading the books for a long time, I think it's important they, they rethink and go over what it is about it that they love, hate, consider. Maybe things they've missed in the 20 years that they've been reading the books. Why is it the big house? Well. I just think it's important to consider things like that. Our critical eye, our analysis is going to unveil and reveal things that people have never before intuited or understood. Mm. We're going to do exactly the same with this thing. Let's kick it off. Okay. Okay. So Claire and Marsley enter. Once again, the curtains are closed on all the windows. Claire locks the door and goes to the surgery table and pulls back a sheet. Just a bit. Revealing. The face of Leith Farish. We now understand what Roger meant by his offer of help. Marsley's eyes widen and she's just about to scream, but Claire claps a hand over her mouth, shushing her. Marsley, please, don't shout. You said you'd let me explain. Slowly, Claire removes her hand. Marsley is still horrified. She doesn't know what to think. She closes her eyes and starts to pray. Lord, have mercy on my soul. I've aged you. I apologize. It's, yeah. the only way I can, it's the only way I can do it. I'm matured. sorry. You've matured me. Absolutely. This is how I hear it. That's, that's <laughs> it. Lord, have mercy on my soul. On Mr. Farish's soul. Deliver us. Wait, from wait. Please, Tim, Tim, before we go on, I'm really interested. If you hadn't aged her, what, mm. what would we, what's a young Scottish person sound like? Because I've heard you do the Scottish accent a bunch of times now, and you're always aging. I know you have range. I know you have range. Young Scottish, please. Okay. Young, a young Scottish whippersnapper. Okay. Whippersnapper. Thank you. Yes. I do whip around. How about, Lord have mercy on my soul, Mr. Mr. Farish's soul. Mm -hmm. Deliver us from evil. Mm -hmm. Marcelie, please. Lovely. I did. I thought it was good. We'll go with that. Let's go with that. It's either that or you're either reading uh, Marsley as a young Scots person or you're about to sell Lucky Charms, uh, the cereal. Both equally fine. Let's carry on. Marsley looks at Claire, fearfully rambling on, afraid of what she might discover. Oh, if Mama were here, she'd drop dead from fright and be turning in a grave. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> we're in Baker Grove now. <laughs> it is a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> or should be turning in a grave. <laughs> you know, did it make me see it, Claire? No, that's just terrible. Um, did it make me see it, Claire? Please, did it make me see it? Do I have to ask you? Was she right? Mama, was she? I'm not a witch. You have more sense than that, Marsley. That's why I've asked you here. Marsley stiffens at the semi-backhanded compliment, piqued but curious. Knowing me as you do, after all this time, why do you think Mr. Farish is on the table behind us? I think I've aged her quite a lot as well. I think she seems a bit older. My... She sounds a little kind of, I don't know, like she belongs in Downton Abbey. Yeah, I think so. There's a little bit of Penelope Keith in there, if I may be so bold. You may. You may. I'm just wondering who Penelope Keith is. <gasps> uh, do you know what? Google it, because you are going to go, that's Penelope mm. Keith. She's a, a national treasure. National treasure. Much like yourself. Exactly. National treasure. We're all national treasures here. I mean, you can Google us as well if you like. Lauren Lyle. You can Google me. Lauren Lyle. <laughs> Lauren Lyle. Gem of Scotland. National treasure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Marsley doesn't need to think too hard. She glances at the room around, the medical tools. Her eyes can see the point. Claire is a physician. 
Still, she's reluctant to give Claire the answer she's looking for verbally. She hasn't come around just yet. Instead, she demands to know. You did we, Betty? <laughs> <laughs> no one. Roger and I filled the coffin with rocks. Should a physician <laughs> not be more concerned with the living? <laughs> I think I've hit a groove. Yeah. And I think this she's is... No, she's no quite simple, actually. <laughs> <laughs> But, de- but determined. She's got real. She's, she's got. Um, she's really slowed. She's she's a she's a bit slow. It takes her a while to get there, but when she does, she has made her mind up. And I think that's that's okay. important. Yeah. Got to try all the angles. This is, it, this is it. We're playing. This is the for anyone that's looking to get into acting, be an actor. First rule of acting: just learn how to play. Never do it the same way twice. Always learn. Do, do more. This is it. Yeah. And if you ever watch a performance by me, you will realize that. He never does it the same. Why can't he just be consistent? <laughs> okay. Um, the curse of the living is that they can't tell us the secrets of the dead. What secrets <laughs> would those be? How to save those of us who are still with... How, how to save those who are still with us. How to perform life-saving surgery. To learn by practising on the dead. I think you could be good at it. I've seen you butchering animals. Claire watches Marsley's expression change to a strange sort of gruesome satisfaction. Marsley has clearly never thought of butchering that way before. You know how her... I'm going to go for that again. See, that's what I do. That's that's part of the process. Thank you. Um, You know how to use a knife. You understand the parts of the animal and what those parts are for. People are similar in many ways. I think she's getting quite sensual. Quite sensual now. You think so? Think so. Yeah, it does sound yeah. like you understand the parts of an animal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, body heat, fermentation from the uh, from the rotted cadaver. I mean, it, it <laughs> is it it can it can be quite erotic. Could be depending on the best people you are. Has anyone has anyone listened to another phenomenal podcast? My dad wrote a porno. No, I actually haven't. No, no. No. I know of it. Oh my god, it's really good. Um, and it is um, Belinda. Belinda blinks. Belinda is quite like what I was going for just then. And for everyone listening that will know, it's one of the top rated podcasts of all time, they'll know Belinda. So um, we Belinda um, sells pots and pans, but is also a dominatrix. So, mm. you know. Okay. That's sort of what I'm going for. I like it. If you, you can tell. I think you can tell. I think it's obvious. I like it. It's put, it's put an image yeah. right in there, yeah. Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'll carry on. David, it's you. Come on. Let's keep. Come on. Okay. All right, all right. Professional people, professional. Please. <laughs> to prove the point, Claire cautiously pulls back the sheet. See for yourself. <gasps> she covers Farish's face with the sheet while at the same time revealing the exposed abdominal cavity. God help us. Claire tries to persuade her. I believe he does. It's a miraculous thing, the human body. And I want you to use this body. To Oh, I, I'd rather I want to use this body. To teach you so that we can protect God's miracle. Wow, that really has taken a weird sensual turn there. It has, I think. Yes. Yeah. I think yes. the right kind of sensual turn, I think, is what you're saying. Mm. Very much. No, I'm not, not going to argue with that. No. Well, I'm curious to see where this goes. Mostly mm-hmm. flushes at the compliment. Flushes. Mm, see, yes, yeah, see, see, um, see. Yeah, yeah. Good choices, mm-hmm. good choices. Right. Uh, but it's still hesitant. You, oh, God. You are helpful and caring. And you... <laughs> No, go with it. Lean into it. Commit, Lauren. I like this. Okay, so, 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 yeah. 
You are helpful and caring. And you have the right instincts. But you've... Ooh, I could never defile a body. Oh, wow. I didn't defile him, Marcelly. I did what's called an autopsy to find out why he died. Wow. Defile means something quite different in my mind now. Quite, quite new. Quite, quite new. Oh, in spite of herself, Marsley is curious. Oh, my goodness. Where is this going? Oh, you're going to find out what killed a man by cutting him open. Jesus Christ. Claire nods. Marsley takes that in, intrigued. There's all kinds of innuendo going on here. What is happening? So much. This is a new scene. This is a new scene. Yeah. Yeah. This is why it was rewritten, because uh-huh. there was just too much heat, should we say. The ke- the sexual chemistry was... Distracting. Yeah. It actually like almost like stood up next to Claire and Jamie in a way that was a competition, I think. I think yeah. I remember that being what was mentioned in the writer's room yeah, that it's, day. It's not good when the sexiest scene is one with a, a dead man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We need to... Oh, we need to... Oh, big red pen through this. Too Gosh. Much. Let's continue. Uh, Claire nods. Marsley takes that in intrigue. Yes. I couldn't save Mr. Farish. Oh, she's the queen now. Loving it. But this this way, his death will mean something. Help save others. When I'm finished teaching you, we'll stitch him up (laughs) and bury him properly. I promise. Roger said he'd help. I like it. Roger's now in. Roger's involved. Goodness me, everyone's everyone's involved. Everyone's culpable. God. Goodness me, how how wide does this net go? Okay, step champ back up like uh, like a seamstress. Claire nods and smiles. Marsley stands up a little straighter. She approaches the body and, though drawn to it, wow. and peers into the cavity, enthralled. Off Claire, smiling, she's found her new apprentice. That sounds like a mwahahaha. I know. Apprentice in what? I don't know. The way that we were reading that. Wow. There's all kind of tonalities wow. going on there. Um, not quite sure what we hit. It's, it's a very mixed genre. Mm-hmm. You know what? We're professionals. We're really good. We're just, like you mentioned earlier, range. Right. It's just a, we just need a director. Yeah. You just can't help it. You can't help but show off the range when you're as good as we are. You need someone to rein you in. You need a director to tell you how to play the scene sometimes mm. uh, because if we just get too creative, we get too good with everything. Yeah. I think we had landed at something pretty brilliant there. Don't you agree, Tim? Without a shadow of a doubt. I think that has lifted it to new heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that scene will never be looked at quite quite the same way no. ever again. Had a touch of carry on screaming, which is a good thing for me as it is one of my favourites of the carry on franchise. <laughs> so that was particularly particularly good there's a character in that uh, played by a wonderful actress called Fenella Fielding she plays this kind of wonderful sort of central vampire mm-hmm. and it was touches touches of that mm-hmm. um, I felt in that case a little bit like the Kenneth Williams uh, character of that oh that kind of comes in and does but I loved it I have always I've always wanted to play someone with that I've always wanted to play someone with that accent that the queen where she every Christmas everyone thank you Merry Christmas, everyone. I would love to do it, but I just, just not had the opportunity until now. 
that was it. That was the the moment for anyone listening that wants to give me a job. This is it. We'll snip that out. That'll be on the show reel. Um, Thank you. There we we go. For all of us, I think, particularly Tim as well, I think you have a future selling breakfast cereal. Mm -hmm. You have a future. I think you do have a future as an Mm -hmm. actor, Tim. I think you do. There's something just tells me. Just a little something. You could do it. Yeah, you could do it, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I'll be telling my mother will be very pleased as uh, she still doesn't believe it after 20 plus years. You've got to you've got to admire the confidence that your mother has in you. <sighs> yeah. Are you still doing it? Your mother says, yes. Yes, I am. When are you going to go for plan B? This is absolutely. Please go into accountancy. Just something with a future, something like that. Anything. But another wonderful question is anything your grandmother could watch. Because you don't really do anything that she could. Well, I'm sorry that I that they that, that there's just nothing that she would. That My she would grand like. likes to tell me if she'll watch something, she'll quite often say, "You could have had a why are you." I really thought you could have done with a bigger part more often than not. Mm-hmm. And you think that's yeah, thanks, yeah. Grand. Yeah. That is like we had the choice. Like we went in and said, "I know you want me for the bigger part, but I would actually prefer this <laughs> smaller, more niche role where I'm paid less, I'm on screen less." That's. That's, That's the what one. I'm really looking for. I'm really <laughs> looking for challenges in that way. If that can be something we could talk about, yeah, um, that yeah. would be right. Yeah, I want to. I want to really concertina my options. I know. How do you? How do you respond to that? I've never. I've gone. Yeah, Grand Noaha. Yeah, yeah. No, I will. I thought so too. That's some regular mm. things. I thought so also. And she's like, mm, yeah. That's... Did you enjoy it though? Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, good. That's fine then. Thanks for that. It's not really something yeah. I can show people, is it? No. Like, for instance, one of my one of my first scenes in Outlander is um, uh, sort of the, the biggest scene is where we're in the theatre, and we sort of come in, and I'm with Jamie, and we're kind of having a chat, and I'm saying I'm laying a trap for those um, regulators out on the road, and he goes, "Oh dear, that's terrible," and tries to kind of talk to whoever you know, murder or something, so that we don't, it doesn't get caught. Now. I said to my parents and and, uh, and uh, my grandmother, oh, you should, you should watch this. This is nice. I didn't know how that was going to get cut together. And it's cut together with a, quite a graphic sex scene. So there are very, very uncomfortable moments of me saying, now we'll be out on the road and we'll get them and they'll they'll be in my clutches and then we'll execute them. Cut to sort of a bottom. <laughs> and there's nothing more awkward. They're just sitting there going, oh, God, OK, just look at the floor. Oh, no. when's it over quick glance that's a bit graphic okay and then you sort of go oh and now we're back in the theater good oh we're back mm. in the this is why i can't really watch the show though because it does feel like there's so much sex in outlander and it's just now all my friends having sex and i just don't think i need to see that i don't want to watch it yeah it doesn't make me want to be involved in any way yeah um and it doesn't i don't want to look at them differently so i tend to just not now yeah i don't need to see it i think it's i think it's best so do I. I think it is. I think it is best. But luckily, this scene we have just written, uh, written red, has uh, has none of that. Which is creatively, we have rewritten it. I, I have to agree there. Basically, yes, we do need. We do actually need a, a nod, a credit from, yeah. uh, from that. Yeah. Uh, but what was that like to film? What was that like to do? Because oh, it, it sounds like it, like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was there. Um, Kat had loads of quite wordy dialogue that ended up in it, and I think she'd had quite a long few days either side. So she was having to like pull herself together to do it. And it was just really funny the whole time because we were all dead giddy. And it felt like, for me, it felt like Marcy's sort of kick off into season five of like where her future was about to unfold. And this was like the moment that her whole world expands um, in this new chapter of her life. So that was really exciting. I remember when I got it through, I, th- I thought it was really exciting. And then we went and rehearsed the scene 
um, separately before coming. Because normally, you know how normally we don't tend to get much rehearsal time. You'll just jump on set. You'll have done your own work. You'll get sort of a few, a few rounds of it and camera setups and things. And then you sort of just have to go for it. But we'd managed to rehearse this bit before. Um, and so we kind of had an idea of how to like land a bit of the comedy. And also it's just such high peaks and troughs. So it was like so serious and so frightening at the same time as being really quite funny. So it's extremes of both, which was brilliant to do on the day. And it's also quite a long scene. So it took all day um, and we just had a laugh the whole time. And they'd also on the body of Mr. Farish, we had the real guy at one point. Yeah. Um, so that was quite funny, watching him having to try and keep his eyes shut and be dead. Because um, no one tells you how difficult that is. That's really hard. You got paid mm. to come in and and just be a dead body how good is that well he is mr Far- he played mr farish i know that but how about if your entire role in a series of television like csi they ex- that's what they do in csi or weekend at bernie's yeah weekend at bernie's where they, they're carrying the dead guy you literally get paid just to be a dead guy that sounds like a great job but it's difficult yeah i guess it could be. it's really not easy mm. see like i don't know if dave um well dave i don't know about Australia, but Tim, in the UK, there's a bit that I don't know if you did it. There's a bit of a rite of passage of like going through something like Holby City or like a soap or something like that. And then um, mm-hmm. we, I went, I did an episode of Holby City as one of my first ever TV jobs and had to do surgery in it. So I had to be like passed out under the knife. And mm. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to just keep your eyes shut and have your body completely still without blinking and your eyes start to go so they all had tips on like how to relax yourself and like you to roll your eyes to the back of your head to try and remain still and then not to breathe how to not breathe stuff like that it's not easy it's not i remember watching there's a there's a scene at the end of the shining you know where you see jack nicholson he's kind of frozen to death and he has his eyes open so as a kid i used as a kid i used to practice trying to keep my eyes open and not kind of flinch or kind of do so as if to go, well, at some point, I'm going to be asked to be dead. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so I'm going yeah. to get some early work in and just see if I can do it. Yeah. But then when you practice on your own, it's so much easier than it is when you've got the pressure of all the cameras around you. And you have to yeah. do it and you have to get it right. And you can't breathe. Have you seen that thing with uh, Michael Caine, thing where he's given an instruction about how to act, right? And he'd say, like, one of the tricks of acting is that you don't blink. And he's looking into the lens and he's like, and you don't blink, and you don't blink. And you don't blink, and you don't blink, and he keeps saying that for a good like thirty seconds, and he's not blinking, and, it, and that's how you maintain your power and your status and, and your connection with the other actor in the scene. And uh, <laughs> honestly, sometimes I'm, I'm I'm in a scene, I can feel the camera on me, and I'm looking at the other actor, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, and I don't blink, and I don't blink, and I don't <laughs> blink, and I don't. Blink. I've heard about this not blinking thing. People saying that's the way to be a good actor, but I don't know if I want to concentrate when I'm doing something on simply not, not blinking. blinking. I feel like there's other things to be thinking about other than like being this person, other than... Like being dead? What are you, what are you thinking when you're dead? Mm. Yeah, true. But like us, we had Mr. Farish mm. being dead. So he was in and out. He had his loincloth to cover himself up, his boxers and whatnot. And, but when they had the fake body that was the cadaver, where it was all opened up and it was gruesome and disgusting... They had given him full anatomy so we could see. And quite funny, we did actually, you know how at the end it says Marcy becomes very intrigued. Mm -hmm. We did with every take, I'm not joking, with every take, we got closer and closer and closer 
to his male anatomy to the point where we were doing it that I was lifting up the sheet to look and uh, Claire was slapping my hand away and we would do it and like they would allow us to run with that and keep going and then it didn't quite make it into the cut like it cuts just before you see us do that um but we always find it really funny um and I also just was kind of why did you need to do it but Quite liked it. Kept you involved. It wasn't modelled on the actor's real anatomy. I'm I'm hoping it's just uh, an off-the-shelf uh, anatomy. Otherwise, that becomes more intimate. And what is an off-the-shelf anatomy? What is an off-the-shelf anatomy? Well, you know, they'll have like kind of standard, you know, like with um like resuscitation dolls, you know? Yeah. There's a resuscitation doll model. But they don't have, they don't have genitalia, do they? Res- resuscitation dolls. They don't. But if you can imagine... Uh, like a, a a CPR doll on a shelf, they may have like mannequins for shops and things like that. They may kind of go, uh, Mark, yeah, we need a we need a a fifty year old male cock and balls. I'll oh, see what I got. Yeah, and as a rummage through a box, like you would if you go into like a screw fix and you're after some mm. some hinges, and they've got like drawers of what about that? It's a bit too old. No, 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 we won't have that. Could you imagine what that process would be like going in? You won't see it, but we are going to need to cast your entire body. If you could just pop your old fella and bullsack into this mug of plaster, we'll come back in 20 minutes. Um, so that would feel quite nice. <laughs> I think it would have its moments. I think it would be nice to begin with, and then it yes. would set, and then I would panic. And then I would feel it's all going to come off when they take it off. It's all it's gone. <laughs> yeah. I'd be ex- yeah, I'd be expected to be paid quite a lot for this experience. <laughs> yeah. Did they did they dress the the open cadaver in sort of offal and things like that? Yeah, it was mainly all sort of like fake blood and prosthetic. It was very prosthetic. Ah, okay. And they did have it was just lots of kind yeah. of harder plastic stuff and they did put lots of jelly bits and whatnot around it and loads of fake blood. Um so it was like if we were to put our hands mm. in they would have got bloody um i think we did at one point put our hands in but it was horrible it's it looks amazing like the art department does such a phenomenal job it looked really real every do, single yeah, do an incredible job um, yeah. organ was in the right place and it really it, like it was a full inside it wasn't mm. sort of like just enough to just sort of pass it it was it was really the whole thing yeah. um and then mr yeah mr farish's head revealing his head that was always quite funny so we had to try not to laugh at that. It's always just quite funny because mm. you sort of are on set in this ridiculous way going, what the hell is this job that we do? What is this job where we're like running around looking at bodies and trying to convince people that it's God's work that we should do this? And they've got fake willies and things. it's just all so, and you're in corsets and I'm pregnant and it's meant to be like 22. It's ridiculous, the whole thing. We just sort of. Yeah. Find I just thought every time I walk in, I still find every time I walk in on set at Nightlander, I'm like, what the hell is this job that we do? This is ridiculous. Mm. The the amount of effort and like beauty that's put into the sets and the world. You walk into this world and I always just think, Wow, this is mad. I feel like a fan quite often mm. walking in, going, Wow, this is actually quite mad. It is it is mm. an extraordinary thing. Just to see just to see what happens, mm. just to see what people do. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, quite amazing. I'm going to take you back a little bit, though, Lauren. Back to little Lauren. Oh. Just to get a bit of background, really. Mm-hmm. Do you come from a particularly arty background? I, myself, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. So I was I was very much like the black sheep of the family. It goes back to what I was saying about my mother of going, 
you really got to get a profession, mm-hmm. even now. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a world away from what they want. Are your family particularly arty? Are they interested in the arts? They are in no way, shape or form arty. No, everyone's, I'm from a very normie background of, mm. um, so my mum was a PE teacher. So I was, I've always been very competitive because my mum yeah. was a PE teacher, always has been. Um, so she was a sort of thing where, like I was running and I was a, I was a gymnast for 10 years and competed for Scotland and Britain and all that sort of thing and mm. thought I'd do that at one point I thought I'd end up a professional gymnast at one point and then you know you get to the stage where they're dieting you at 14 and you're like mm, I don't think I want to do this and yeah you're, you're all right I'm fine and I was always I always loved drama at school my dad is not my dad's like a businessman type thing but he is a massive muso so he has a massive record collection like a really impressive record collection that actually in his will is going to one of my brothers and I'm convincing him currently to try and change it that it comes to me um because it's so amazing he's just over the years collected stuff and his parents my gran and grandpa on my dad's side have always been massive theater lovers again like my my grandpa was a chemist and a judge and my gran worked in prisons as she was like on the parole board for prisons and like nothing. She had she got a, a medal from the Queen for doing that sort of thing, but not in any way artsy in that in jobs. But grand yeah. and grandpa every year, they're 90 now, but every year would go to the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh and see every play they could see and they collect they've got a huge like all over the house are just stacks and stacks of programmes, of theatre programmes that they've collected yeah. over the years. Um and my grandpa sort of like got me into Shakespeare and when I was auditioning for drama schools when I was very young, very young, as though I was 14 auditioning for drama schools. <laughs> no, when I was just younger auditioning for drama schools, he like found yeah. some speeches for me because he was into Shakespeare and things. So my dad's side weirdly is probably the more arty, but never did it in jobs or anything like that. I don't know people in the arts or anything like that. And my mum's yeah. side, not at all. My mum's grandpa, she used to say, would watch songs of praise and get a conductor stick out from the side of his armchair and conduct along to songs of praise. Um, so that was kind of the extent of it. And then my brothers, my brother, one of my brothers is very into films, so knows loads about mm. it, but doesn't do it. My other brother is very into music. Both of them are. Everyone's really into arts, but none of yeah. them, like when I started doing it, it was like, oh my God, what else are you going to do? Why does your brother get the record collection? I actually don't know. We have never discussed it. He's the middle child, so maybe he's been given some sort of sweet, sweet ride. Compensation. Yeah, because my oldest brother, we have a thing where the oldest brother is the is the firstborn, so we've always joked about that. I am the miracle child, but self-dubbed miracle child as the only girl, youngest, and there's quite a few years apart between us, so I was not a mistake. I was wanted, thank you. But the... <laughs> The middle brother has always said that he's the middle brother and that that's his that's his torch to bear. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and convince him. He's he won't have it. I think he'll want it. He won't have me having it. But I'm younger, so maybe in my last two years of life, I'll end up with a record collection if I'm the last one left. Who knows? But we're all very and you're gonna hold it above his tomb. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> I know but we do like every I remember like every Sunday morning reggae was like my dad absolutely loves reggae and every Sunday morning I'd be woken up hungover as like a 16 year old <laughs> drinking at 16 but like having been out and like learning how to be a teenager 
and my dad would be playing reggae at like the full blast waking me up so it's always just there's always music playing in the house there's, it's mm. actually quite annoying sometimes because it's it's non-stop but i better than not it's better than not absolutely absolutely so what was your first kind of forays into into the acting world you did the national youth theater is that right national yeah yeah i done yeah. all the i done all the stuff at school i never at school i was at I, I i lived in new zealand for a long time so i finished high school in new zealand and almost went to art school to be a painter um mm. but then didn't because i thought i'll it was a really amazing art school in new zealand and i almost went there and then decided to come back to the uk and audition for drama schools and wasn't getting in like for a good four years was doing drama school auditions and just couldn't get in but during that time I sort of started to work I managed to get an agent through an acting class and sort of was getting involved and then I got a job at the old Vic theatre um in the crucible which was a big west end production at the time and I was this probably the smallest part in the whole show with my own part. But we know that's what you're going for. That, that's, what yeah, your grand, that's what your grandmother said. Yes. If I, you know, that's what I've chosen. I've chosen the smallest yeah. part here. Yeah. Um, you had uh, John Proctor in the bag, apparently. And uh, John Proctor. But the funny thing is, is that I so I had my smallest part, but I then understudied the three lead women. So I understudied mm-hmm. the rate when we're talking about range. At the time, I probably looked about. We all had to look really young. There was a group, there was about five, six girls that were the only, the youngest ones in the whole thing. It was our group. And we had to look very, very adolescent. And I was understudying Abigail, which made sense because like we were meant to be of a similar age, the Leeds girl. And also Elizabeth Proctor, who is John Proctor's wife. So she was supposed to be sort of later, mid to late thirties. And was also um, the wife of, um, Richard Armitage, who is one of the biggest, tallest men you've ever met. And I look just like a child compared to him. So there were times in rehearsals where Anna um, Medley, who was the, the Elizabeth, couldn't make a rehearsal. So I had to step in. And it was ridiculous because I couldn't, I, I, I kind of thought, how the hell have they trusted me that if someone's sick or falls apart, I'm going to have to step in and do this. Um, and then there was another uh another female, Mercy, who I had to understudy as well. And then I had to go on as Mercy one night. She got a migraine and almost passed out right before, two minutes before we went to curtain. So I had to go it on. It worked. It yeah, worked. I know. They were like, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's down. Can you do it? And she was like, I can't go on. Lauren, can you do it? And I was like, I'm ready. <laughs> already wearing her costume. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> and already about to take her record collection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, we're still all very good friends. So we do talk about that. Um, but yeah, I did that. And then I sort of, after finishing the cruise, but it was so successful and it was so intense that the casting director um, sort of said to me, you don't, I don't think, I got into drama school that year as well. And she said, I don't think actually you need to go in terms of, I think you've started working, you should carry on. Try, like that's what you're going to drama school to if it, sort of eventually do. So maybe you just carry on. So I took the risk and did. And then about not long after that, I sort of was still quite young and felt like I wanted to muck about a bit and not be right in the professional world straight away. So yeah, I did the National Youth Theatre Rep Company, which was like a company of 16 actors, eight boys, eight girls, um, top, top, top actors. And we trained in a rep company for nine months with all the sort of best UK I guess like the BBC and all the best theatre companies, national theatre, like everyone comes in and sort of teaches you in a professional, more professional environment, 
And then we did three shows in the West End over three months in rep. And then I got a, quite a lot. I did very well from that in terms of I was a lead in a new piece of writing that was a massive risk, but it did very well. So I managed to get quite a lot of opportunity from that. And then I didn't work for nine months. Nothing happened for nine months. And I got no recalls, nothing. And then within the space of two or three weeks, I got Outlander for three seasons and uh, a big Jimmy McGovern, Sean Bean BBC drama uh, for BBC One at the same time. So, and then since then, I was working six jobs right before that in those nine months. Then I got those two and I haven't had to do other things other than acting since. So that's been quite good. <laughs> that is very good. Yeah. That's quite that's quite an education to have gone through West End shows as your as your like learning. Yeah, yeah. As your Lovely. playground you to kind of go, mm. okay, well, you know, I don't wanna don't wanna kinda of leap into this just in case you're on the West End stage. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll see we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it was that's quite something. Well the the crucible was sort of like that was a really, really, really once in a lifetime experience. I remember at the end of it, like the the whole cast it was twenty four of us, and there was only about like I say five or six young girls, and the rest of them there was maybe like two in the middle ages, and then everyone else was a lot older. And I'm talking like I don't know if you know William Gaunt, who's sort of E. McKellen and Maggie Lund, uh, Maggie, um, what's her face. <laughs> What's her face? Maggie Smith. Smith. Maggie Smith? <laughs> yeah, that big oh, one, Maggie Smith. National <laughs> treasures, national treasures. Yeah. Like, even Kelly Maggie Smith like, had toured the RSC with them. Bill Gaunt had done this. Jack um, Silver. All these, like, incredible actors who... Not Jack Silver. What am I talking about? Jack... Oh, this is terrible. I've forgotten everyone's last name. Jack Lemon. Jack, yeah, okay. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Loads of, like, huge theatre freaks that have been doing it for... 40 to 60 years and you were just in it with them and they were it was like a full education and like you were just like a sponge soaking in everything they were doing and it was Yale Farber who was the director who was quite renowned and very experimental and like we would spend times rehearsals consisted of like the height of the summer and we'd be pushing what we'd be up against the wall like pushing the wall for hours at a time to try and get into the state of like the 1600s of how horrible it would be to work on the land and like how suppressed women would be and it was just like the most intense experience and at the end of it all I remember us all standing we used to just circle because it was in the round we used to circle at the end of at the beginning of every show just to sort of warm up get your head in it and like good luck to everyone like have a good show and at the end of it on the last one we went around everyone and I just remember people like Bill Gaunt, who at the time would have been in his 80s, who's still alive, I think, um, would have been in his 80s and had a stick and all of this. He went, I've been doing this for however many years and this, these ones don't come around very much. For you young girls, like this really was a once in a lifetime thing and they're not all as good as this. This has really been special and I'm telling you that that won't all be like this. And all of us were in tears, like, what do you mean it won't all be like this? Like, fuck, is it all going to be... What a way to dampen a mood, hey? What happens next? I know. And it really, like, it, he was right. Like, I know we all still talk about it, and it really bonded us in a way that I feel very lucky that that was the, the playground. But it was intense. It was very intense. But I think if that, if, I think that would have put me off. If nothing else, that could have put me off, and it didn't. So I think I was a bit stuck. Yeah. Well, it's been very lucky because you've 
you, you've kind of moved from one great fab, you know, theatre, fa- almost a theatre family, mm. to a to a TV family. Yeah, in essence. because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I know everyone talks about it, about being a family atmosphere, and everyone's all very nice to each other. But it is true there is a real camaraderie with Outlander, mm-hmm. which almost makes it more almost feel like a cottage industry, <laughs> rather than a kind of sprawling industry. A cottage industry is, you know, when you've got um, like big companies that make a lot of something. Okay, yeah. So like uh, Everest Windows make a lot of double glazing. Right. Someone doing like an Etsy thing is a cottage industry. It's like ah, one of you okay. or two of you making a little something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can feel more intimate, more handmade, more kind of organic rather than kind of mass produced. Mm-hmm. And I think Outlander feels a bit like a cottage industry at, at, in times because it's got a, it's a real intimacy to certain parts. Yeah. I think it's because you're in the Highlands, you're kind of away from everything. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly special. So it's been it's been a very nice little journey thus far thus, thus far thus far thank you yeah it has outlander mm. was i remember starting outlander having not really done much tv film stuff at all before i'd done like the occasional episode of stuff very occasional episode of stuff and i had kind of mainly just done theater and so walking i remember my first day so clearly that i walked on set having like so excited by the costumes i remember sending my agent videos of me in my costume getting all excited in my trailer and then I walked into the studios and it was pitch black. You know, when we walk in, sometimes it's dark and cause so much of it's candle lit, they'll just have candles going. And I just remember not being able to see, being so nervous, hadn't really spoken to Kat or Sam. And Nell Hudson was there, who plays my mum at the time. And it was sort of her last bit of time on Outlander, my beginning. And so I just stuck by her side the whole time. And we had to do the first scene where we walked in and it was Jamie and Claire um looking they're about to have sex and Nell and Leary walks in with her two children and Claire realizes that Jamie's been bringing up and thinks that um, Jamie's had kids with Leary soon to realize that he's just been sort of helping her bring up her other kids um but we call him daddy and um I just remember having to walk in and I had to then call Claire a whore at some point like that. And I just thought, oh my God, I've not even spoken to Kat and I've got to come and call her a whore. She's this tall, beautiful woman that commands this show. This is terrifying and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Um, And it just, I remember it just being overwhelming to every degree and it was so dark and big. And I just thought, I've entered Hollywood. This is what's happened. We're in Hollywood now. That's what this is. I'd never been in a studio or anything that big. Um, But it was so special and they never made me feel very welcome. Kat, how do we look up and down to make sure that I was legit and then we all became friends and it was fine um but a very different experience it's nice to have a family of it because I do think tv you're moving so much quicker you don't have the time to bond in the same way as quickly as you do in theatre um but I think we've all been very lucky that it's a good group it's a good group of folk yeah because yeah, it could go horribly wrong we've all seen those elements of, of uh, it going terribly mm. so we've been yeah we've been very lucky on that mm. what is next for lauren your your podcast she's a wreck is yeah. is, ju- is just coming to an end or has just ended so it just ended so well so i say that I, I don't know what i can totally say so i can say two things probably right before lockdown i was filming a bbc series um which I can't say anything about what it is or who I am in it because I haven't been announced yet, but that will, I'm allowed to say that I'm doing a BBC series, I think. Um, and Fabulous. it's really good. Totally, totally different to Outlander. Um, it was being amazing. Small, but small and niche. Tiny, and tiny part. Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've requested the smallest role possible and they really they tried their good. best to negotiate that for me. 
Um, uh-huh. So, no, it's actually it's actually pretty good. She's she's pretty she is quite badass again, but different. It's different. Um, very modern. Your gra- your grandmother will be disappointed. I know, but that's that's fine. You deal yeah. with that later. Yeah. Um, so that'll be we've basically had to put that on hold as everyone else did with filming anything. So I'll be getting back to filming that quite soon, um, which will be nice to finish that off. Hopefully by the end of the year, and then yeah, the podcast "She's a Wreck" has been my pride and joy for the last for the last few months. I've been working it for quite a long time, um, and really was sort of not quite ready to put it out when we did. But then lockdown happened, and it just felt like the right time. I could do I could just do it so I was like oh we'll just go for it and actually it was the really right thing to do because actually some amazing women popped up to interview for it um so we did that in the end and it was amazing it was so much bigger and better as series one than I ever sort of expected it to be and um really had some some outrageous oh and I are in a very similar boat aren't we Tim we have no idea what we're doing we uh, are not ready for this either and if you were to give us any tips that you've learned from podcasting, what would you advise us, Lauren? Ooh, I would advise, okay, my serious tips would probably be not to, like, seek the perfect series. Well, that's not a problem for us. <laughs> okay, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but instead, um, just do what you want to do that, that's going to be fun and that's going to make you laugh and that's going to be inspiring to you because – it seems to be the ones that I was nervous about that I really enjoyed the people I had on that really, I really loved or was nervous about, but people might not have known really who they were or something ended up being some of the best episodes and the feedback. You also can't control anyone's feedback. So you just got to hope and pray that people like it. Um, but I've, I mean, I've just had a lot of fun with it. And I think I, my big thing has been like for the next series, it's just do what I want to do and have fun with it and not, take it all too seriously because it seems to be everyone loves um what you love to do what you're loving doing so we've got there's I'm in works with a new series um that's going to focus sort of on maybe just outlandery situations but there's there's a number of there's a number of lines for our second series that we're going down and exploring and it will be happening just like don't have dates yet but it's all very exciting and all very good and I've really enjoyed doing it um maybe we'll get some boys involved i'm quite up for that and some boys that have got female influences and who they will be um because i think that's important as well that we hear from the guys about their um women that have influenced them in their life so yeah it's been amazing everyone should go and listen to it everyone if you've not listened to she's a wreck yet please go and listen i think you'll like it katrina balfa's episode one so listen to that and then carry on from there filled with a lot of love yeah we do love you lauren uh, I love you, Tim. Big love fest here. Oh, love we you love guys. having you on the show. <laughs> so thank you, Lauren, so much um, from the bottom of our hearts for joining us again. And I think, Tim, now's a good time to reveal the big deep dark secret about this episode. Would you like to have the honor of revealing the secret about this episode, Tim? I think this episode, uh, until, until this moment, uh, has been our Marie Celeste, if you will. We have tried... <laughs> Countless, countless times. We recorded this episode, all was going well, until uh, it basically, we discovered we didn't record any of it, as <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't press record. So then began a long road of 
mistakes. And you know what? It was a good episode as well. It was a real cracker. <laughs> I mean, I think we organised the next time we organised the episode. It was. It actually turned out to be three o'clock in the morning in Australia, and obviously that <laughs> didn't that didn't work. No. So that couldn't happen. Um, and then even today, people are trying not to let this happen. Even yeah. today, Lauren, yourself, you found out that, in fact, your internet was being borrowed by a neighbour. <laughs> stolen. <laughs> by a neighbour. Stolen. It wasn't borrowed, someone stole it. Well, uh, through a series of things that sought to waylay us many times, we have now recorded this podcast for perpetuity. The one that we had before will exist in, in only in our imaginations. Mm. Um, but now this will exist in everyone's imaginations. You will never know, you wonderful people listening, you will never know. We will we'll never know. We, we had a great conversation. We did. We did. I kind of remember it now. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I actually think the reading that we did today was better. I think it was far more nuanced. I think so. Oh, mm. I think so. I think so. <laughs> Basically, what we've done, we've done that thing as actors, is we have self-edited, found the bits <laughs> we like, and then presented it. Just yeah. intuitively. Just gone, mm, yeah, just, just that is good. This is a little story about uh, Helen Hunt. Uh, apparently, the way that she got her Oscar for As Good As It Gets, um, let's bring it back to Jack Nicholson. She apparently was feeling very nervous in the role uh, the entire time. And, and, and James L. Brooks maybe was the director. I'm not quite sure. He was the writer, at least. They would roll action and she would do the scene and, and they would never really quite work. He would, they would cut and then they would just go for another take. The director would say something like, um, we're just going to do one just for safety. And uh, it turns out that all of her coverage were the ones just for safety. And that, in the end, is what got her the Oscar. So we have done this podcast oh, just for safety. And I'm convinced... So and this will win us the podcast Oscar. So thank you, Lauren, thank you. for your contribution. And thank you, Tim. And thank you, the Academy. Thank you, Grandma. Thank yeah, Tim's mom. Tim's mom. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again, Lauren, for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. It's been fun. Thank you. Hello and welcome to that part of the show we call Listener's Letters. And we have a, a really interesting one now. So I'll, uh, I'll quickly get that one. Uh, dear David and Tim. Thank you for your podcast. I love listening to it while washing the dog. I have two Great Danes called Sunflower and Chris. Hmm. Chris okay. has a limp. Uh, my wife has been a fan for many years uh, of the show and she has loved following the incredible stories that are so beautifully told. But recently, my wife, Sarah, 54, has taken it a step further. It started by buying a family coat of arms and investigating our family tree and has grown into her dressing me up in a kilt and sporran and only calling me Jamie during the hours of darkness and or intimacy. Please help, as I'm exhausted and half the time don't know what she's talking about. Thanking you in advance, Brian. Well, I think jump in with both feet. I mean, obviously, you've got a lot on your hands with your two Great Danes there, um, especially Chris, who does sound a bit, of a, a bit of a handful. So maybe this is just a form of escapism. I mean, the question would be, how would it be if you started calling her Claire? Or another woman's name. Right. That may indeed spice things up. Maybe too much, I don't know. Um, but l maybe just leap in with both feet. You know, really embrace it. Ride around on a horse. Talking broad Scottish accents at all times, maybe. Or maybe just during the hours of darkness. Um, and uh, yeah, really. Really push the boat out, maybe. How about that? And maybe go for a lovely sort of weekend break somewhere where you can role play. I hear there's some wonderful groups that can do lots of role playing and cosplay. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing for you. I agree with you, Tim. I think just get everyone involved. Get uh, get the dogs involved. Call them um, Governor Trine and Lord John Gray. We could all have a bit of fun there with um, what you could be called. You could be Jamie. She could be Claire. It could be a whole mm. big menage a many. Why not? 
we don't want to get too involved in your personal lives. But um, then again, if we're the dogs, who's to say? No judgment here. We're not relationship experts, but that's what I would do. That's what I would do, Brian. Sound advice. Sound advice. You know, go for it. Please let us know how it goes. Um, and I hope Chris feels better. Don't know what's wrong with him, but mm. sounds uh, sounds painful. So best of luck to the whole family there. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a review as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page at outcast.podcast for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com. Every week, we shall select a question from one of our listeners to answer on the show. The theme music is composed by Kieran Ledwidge. All views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by Diana Gabaldone or the Sony Stars television show Outlander. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Although I did have a ham sandwich earlier. So, See you next time. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.